Good to have you with us this morning. Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of Acts, New Testament book. If you don't have your Bibles, no problem. We'll have most of the verses up on the big screen behind me. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, pick one up in the information. Bring it back with you next week. We are working, going to be working our way through the book of Acts, how it changes everything. We're talking about the cross. And this morning's teaching is called Promise. Sunday school teacher asked her children as they were on the way to church service, and why is it necessary to be quiet in church? And one bright little girl replied, because people are sleeping. (laughs) And uh, you are certainly not going to want to sleep in this service. Uh, It'll go by too quickly for you, and what I have to say to you has eternal implications. They're really important. And uh, we're going to talk about the promise. We are here this morning to celebrate the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Not just a historical event. It's more than that. It can and should be a daily reality. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it to the fullest. The New Testament book of Acts tells the story of a small band of believers who encountered this resurrected Jesus and grew into the greatest force for hope the world has ever seen and continues even to this very day. And in this teaching series, we will discover how the Spirit of God, in fact, this is the the thesis statement to this whole series, we're going to discover how the Spirit of God works through the Word of God in the hearts and lives of the people of God, making an impact in this world for God. And uh, that's where we're headed. If you would would please, let's begin with a word of prayer. Would you bow your heads with me? I would like to pray Romans 8, 11 this morning. Father in heaven, your word tells us that if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us... He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to our mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in us. What an amazing thought that is. What an amazing reality that when we put our faith in Jesus, you place your Holy Spirit within us. And so we pray this morning, awaken us to the beauty, the splendor, and glory of the person and work of Jesus Christ in our behalf and the fullness of life that he came to give each and every one of us. We pray these things in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Take a look at uh, Acts, Acts chapter 1. I'm going to read through the text. We're going to answer two questions this morning. What is Christianity all about? And then how can I receive it now? How can I enter into it now? What is Christianity all about? How can I receive it now? Acts chapter 1, starting at verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard me say, for John baptized with water, 
But you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Let's read verse 8 together and aloud. Here we go. One, two, three. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Powerful verse. That's our key verse this morning. I'll continue reading. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while he was gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven." This is the word of the Lord. First question, what is Christianity all about? I'm convinced of this, and I think it's because of my interaction with people here, particularly in America. Most people have no idea what Christianity is about. In fact, I believe that people are rejecting something that they're not, they're not even really familiar with. They really don't even know what it is that they're... They think they know what they're rejecting, but in reality, they don't know what they're rejecting. Because they don't understand what it's all about. In fact, if I were to ask, and I've done this many times, ask most people here in America, what is the Christianity you have seen over the years? Here's typically the responses. At worst, a narrow-minded, guilt-producing organization, and at best, a comfort that helps you when you're in trouble. Now, I've said this many times here, and if you've been with us for any length of time, you've heard me say this multiple times. Let me say it again here this morning. And that is, if the Christian message, the gospel, isn't the most astounding thing you've ever heard, then you haven't heard it. You haven't heard it. Um, It seems that the older I get, the more I am fascinated with the message the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I've never heard of any message more stunning, more jaw-dropping, more amazing than the message of Jesus Christ. The older I get, it just, it just fascinates me more and more. I am captivated uh, by this message. And now that I'm 30 years old, I can't hardly wait. Okay, God's still working on my line. I'm going to be 55 this year, okay? And so, uh, and so I'll tell you what, the older I get, and there's something interesting about this message. Unlike most of the things in this world, there's this law of, of decreasing return. When you encounter something, it takes more of that something to, to kind of get you the high or the buzz that you initially had the first time. But the Christian message is quite the opposite. It, it, it operates under the law of increasing return. That the longer I've walked with Jesus, the the sweeter he is to me and the more fascinated I am and captivated by this gospel message. I mean, I look back on the early days, I kind of wonder, did I even really understand it? Because to the degree that I'm beginning to get my my heart and my mind around this message, it's just, it's mind-blowing. 
I oftentimes tell people, I feel like I'm born again again. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's crazy. I mean, it's really crazy. And so my prayer this morning is that you would, you would hear this gospel message. And this is what the gospel message is. Let me walk you through kind of four big ideas. What is Christianity all about? Here's the first one we can draw from our text. It is what Jesus has done and not what you do. This is called grace. It is what Jesus has done and not what you do. And you can see this in the first, the first verse here. Did you notice that he said, in the first book, O Theophilus, he's talking about the gospel according to Luke, the, the gospel. He writes about the life, person, and work of Jesus Christ. And he's writing to this. We're not really sure who this is, O Theophilus. We know that his name means lover of God. And so I know that Dr. Luke here goes to... Ex- you know, great lengths, a lot of detail. His writing, Gospel According to Luke, is the most extensive gospel. And, and the book of Acts, which really talking about, you know, the Spirit of God working through the Word of God in the hearts and lives of the people of God, making an impact in this world for God. It's pretty extensive stuff. We're going to spend a considerable amount of time working through this. But you'll notice he says, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach. And he's talking about his previous book. And so this is a, a continuation, as you will see, a continuation of the work of Christ through his church. But Jesus began to do, and in fact, he has done. In fact, this is what, this is what separates Christianity from all the major cults in, in our religions today. Oftentimes people will try to put Christianity, kind of, they'll kind of throw it in there with all the major religions and cults. You can't do that. You can't do that when you understand what Christianity is about because all the major cults and religions of our world today are spelt D-O, do. Do these things, do these rules, regulations, rituals, and then you can achieve or you can, or you can somehow, you know, Im, you know, you can achieve his or earn his favor, God's favor. But the gospel is the antithesis of that. It's the opposite. It's not spelled D-O. It's spelled D-O-N-E. It's been done. Jesus on the cross said, it is finished. And he says, if you'll put your faith in my finished work, it is, it is done. It's not about earning or achieving. You have the favor of the creator and the God of the galaxies by faith in Jesus. That's amazing. It's not do. You do these things, somehow you'll get his favor. No, no, listen. Through what Jesus Christ did for us, you have his favor right now by faith in Jesus. I mean, it's amazing. Now, this is how I'm able to test people whether or not they really understand that. I'll ask them this question. And I'll say, uh, so are you a believer? You a Christian? And I'll get one of three different responses. Here's the first one. Uh, oftentimes people will respond kind of defensively. Of course I am. Yeah. I mean, look at me. I mean, I, I read my Bible. I pray. I go to church. I drop money in the box. I, I do all these things. Wait, 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 wait. Your preoccupation is with what you do as opposed to what he has done. Because I really believe that the Christian life is about focusing on what he has done. And out of when you do that, it begins to change you dramatically in what you do. You don't reverse that. It becomes religion. And so when someone says that, you can do all of those things, read your Bible, pray, go to church, drop money in the box, and still not be a believer, still not be really a Christian. The next response is uh, not a defensive one, but the next one would be more of a doubting kind of a response. It's more like, 
Man, I, if you were to ask someone, hey, are you a believer? And they say, man, I'm trying. I'm trying. And that would tell me also that person is preoccupied with what? With doing. With doing. As opposed to having been done. Because when you begin to understand the gospel message, if I were to ask you, are you a believer, this is how you would respond. This would be the normal response if you really are beginning to grasp it. Not, not with defensiveness, not with doubt, but with unbelievable delight. It would go something like this. Are you a believer? Yeah. Can you believe it? Me, a believer? <laughs> I didn't earn it. Didn't achieve it. Don't deserve it. But all the wealth of the riches of heaven, access to the throne room by my faith in Jesus and what he's done. See, what happens when you put your faith in Jesus Christ? It's pretty amazing. But becoming a a Christian is an immediate change of status based on faith in what Jesus has done for you. I mean, for instance, you go from not being a child of God to being a child of God. That quick. Change of status. Not what you do, what has been done for you. That's amazing. Not a child of God, now you're a child of God. An enemy of God, a friend of Jesus. Really, no sense of identity other than that's, that which is temporal to now I'm a member of the family of God. Not being justified, being out of relationship with God, now in relationship with God. Uh, having a sense of trying to grasp the issues of life, working through all the issues. Now he works in my life. It's called sanctification. He begins to put all the pieces of my life back together. He indwells me with his presence. I mean, it's an immediate change of status. You go from being hell-bound to heaven-bound by putting your faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Totally amazing. In fact, uh, it's called grace... And the definition, one of the definitions for grace is unmerited favor. So just do this, if you would, please. Turn to the person next to you and say, By faith in Jesus Christ, we have God's unmerited favor. Think you can remember that? (laughs) Do that real quick. So by faith in Jesus Christ, we have God's unmerited favor. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 puts it this way, For by grace are you saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. By the way, something that I need to just drop this in here real quick. Most of the time you ask people, you know, whether or not they're going to heaven, and most people say, yeah, I'm going to heaven. I would say, well, why are you going to heaven? Because I'm basically a good person. Most people would say that. And the Bible says it's not by works. It's not by being a good person because you can never be good enough. We'll talk a little bit more about that as we work through this. But, but by grace are you saved through faith. Here's another verse, 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich... Yet for our sakes he became poor, so that through his poverty we might become rich. So here's how it comes down. The more you see that your salvation has nothing to do with how you behave, the more it will change how you behave. That's the gospel message. 
So it starts with what has been done for you. And to the degree you begin to embrace that, it revolutionizes your life. You don't start by trying to change your life and then somehow you earn or achieve his favor. You have his favor through Jesus Christ. When you enter into that by faith, I mean, it does a number on you. It changes you. It changes your life. So what are some of the things that he's done? Here's where we'll unpack that. So... It is what Jesus has done and not what we do, grace. Here's the next one. He suffered for you. Talking about the cross, verse 3. I don't know if you noticed this. It says in verse 3, He presented himself alive to them. Notice these three words. After his suffering. After his suffering. There is an ocean of astounding truth in those three words. After his suffering suffering. The cross, listen to me, the cross is the foundation on which the Christian life is built. Brian Chapel, president of Covenant Theological Seminary, shares the story from his hometown of two young boys who were brothers playing where they shouldn't have been playing on the sandbanks by the great river. They ran up to the top of one of the sand mounds and they began to sink It was why they shouldn't have been there, and it was horribly dangerous because it was a form of quicksand, and the the ground was, was too far down for them to survive because they were about to go down further than their heights. That night, they didn't come home. No one knew where they were, so everyone went out searching, their parents, the neighbors, the police. And they came to the place where they saw one of the two boys unconscious but alive because he had only sunk down to his shoulders with his head just barely below the sand. And they immediately started to dig him out and revive him. And as he woke up, they asked him, where's your brother? Where's your brother? And he said to them, I am standing on his shoulders. The foundation of that boy's life was the sacrificial death of his brother. And the foundation of our lives is the sacrificial death of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's amazing. The God of the galaxies loved you so much to give his life for you. It tells us in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's all of us, every one of us. <laughs> no higher ground of morality or that I'm good or this or that. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. We have rejected, we have really pushed away this holy, righteous God. We were created to bring glory to God, but we, we tend to live our lives for our own glory and for many other things. And the Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. Eternal separation from God. But it doesn't stop there. But the gift can't be earned, can't be achieved. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It even gets better than that. It says in Romans But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's amazing. 
Totally amazing. So he died for us, and so that's part of that message. So, so it's not what we do, but what has been done for us. He suffered for you. That's the cross. Here's the next one. He proved he was alive. He proved he... he he proved that he was alive. It's the resurrection. Before I, I look at that, let me just read to you. I think it helps you to embrace this more fully. And Max Licato says this as it relates to the fact that Jesus suffered for us. What a God. Ponder the achievement of God. He doesn't condone our sin, nor does he compromise his standard. He doesn't ignore our rebellion, nor does he relax his demands. Rather than dismiss our sin, he assumes our sin and incredibly sentences himself God's holiness is honored, our sin is punished, and we are redeemed. God does what we cannot do so we can be what we dare not dream, perfect before God. So he suffered for you. He proved he was alive. Resurrection. Verse 3, once again, let me read it. He says, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. This validated his claims of deity. Now, what proof do we have? This is something that I had to grapple with for for many years as, as a follower of Jesus Christ. I believe that the resurrection of Jesus Christ can be validated both intellectually and existentially. Let me explain what that means. Intellectually, it is objective truth. It's a historical fact. You can do the research... And it is validated uh, because there's unbelievable evidence. We'll talk about that in a minute. But existentially, there's a hard experience that happens when you make a confession of faith in Jesus Christ. Now, let me explain this. Uh, You hear me say this a lot, that the Christian life is about... It's a hard experience based on objective truth. You need to have both of those and embrace that. But let's talk, first of all, intellectually. How do we know that he resurrected? Intellectually, there is enough evidence for any serious seeker of truth to tilt the scale of probability beyond a reasonable doubt that Jesus resurrected from the grave. Don't commit intellectual suicide on me, okay? A lot of people do. But if you will do the research, and by the way, most people that do the research, they begin to realize, as Josh McDowell realized in his book, Resurrection Factor, as he went out to disprove Christianity, he said there was enough evidence for him to deny that evidence, he would have to commit intellectual suicide. He became a believer as a result. So he was an atheist who became a believer. Lee Strobel is another one of those. I mean, there's, there's, just, there's a lot of books out there of these people that did the research. Most people in America today are lazy intellectually. Don't commit suicide intellectually. Do the research. I've done the research. I continue to do the research. I'm astounded by the evidence that tilts the scale of probability in the direction in the direction of the validity of this person and work of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 8, it's the second, uh, it's Paul, Paul's writing this, and this is what he's saying. Remember, Paul persecuted the church. He killed Christians. He goes from being a Christian killer to a proclaimer of this resurrected Lord and Savior. He encountered the resurrected Lord. And this is what he writes in the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians. He talks about the resurrection. It's a historical fact. In fact, he says this, and this was written some 15 years later. He says, in fact, Jesus showed himself to some 500 people, many of which are still alive to this very day. Go and talk to them. That's what he's saying. Plenty of evidence. 1 Peter 1, 16. Remember Peter? Denied Christ three times. He writes, 
And he says, these were not cunningly devised fables. We didn't make this stuff up. In fact, this is what he says. He uses some uh, very uh, eloquent words because he was just so fascinated by this Jesus. He says, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We were blown away. And, uh, and what's interesting about this, too, is that every one of these disciples gave their life. Now, you know, people give their life for what they believe to be true. They do it all the time. But listen, no one, no one will ever give their life for what they believe to be a lie. At some point, they'll, they'll hit the eject button. Ah, it, was, it was a joke. It was a lie. None of them, and even millions and millions of people since then, have given their life for this resurrected Lord and Savior. So that's the intellectual. But then there's this, this existential. And i got to explain it like this. See, you can reason to a point of probability, okay, where the scale is tilted in favor of resurrected Jesus, but it takes commitment to lead to greater levels of assurance and certainty. you got to make a choice. you got to make a decision. When you make that decision, that's where the existential part begins to come in. Existentially, it is self-authenticating. By the way, here's, an, here's one of the examples I often use. I don't need to tell you that honey is sweet. All I need to do is give you a dab on your tongue. You know it's sweet. So there's something that happens when people make a confession of faith in Jesus. Existentially, it is self-authenticating because people who put their faith in this resurrected Lord and Savior have never experienced more life, more love, more liberty than what they've experienced in Him. I can't explain it. I've experienced it, and I've watched many others experience it because I have a front row seat. The people who confess faith in this resurrected Lord, objective fact... But it creates this hard experience existentially. They sense his presence. He begins to transform their lives. I've seen it time and time again. Totally amazing. Acts 4.20. Peter and John, uh, they were getting the heck beat out of them. And they were told, hey, quit talking about this Jesus. And you guys remember what, what they say. We're going to eventually get to that story. But he says, uh, they, they actually say, hey, we can't help but talk about what we have seen and heard. You can't shut us up. We've experienced it. Peter writing to second generation Christians. First Peter 1.8. These are people that didn't see physically, but there was something that they experienced. And this is what he writes. He says, though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, you believe in him. And your heart is filled with this unspeakable and glorious joy as they put their faith in the resurrected Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Listen to what C.S. Lewis said. He was an atheist who became a Christian. He said this, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. So in that statement, you got both intellectual and existential. Okay, so there's, there's your first three. So, it is what Jesus has done and not what we do. That's grace. He suffered for you. That's the cross. He proved he was alive. Resurrection. And now here's the big one. Ascended. This takes us to this promise. We see his ascension in verses 9-11 that we already read. And so he ascended in works from heaven through his Holy Spirit. This is the promise. Talks about it. So, so I go back to verse 1. So he began to do and teach. This is what he began to do and teach. 
And then verses 4 and 5 talks about this promise. And then verse 8, it tells us what that promise is. You will receive power. The word uh, Greek is dunamis, where we get the word dynamite. So, so you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So there's this some kind of a interesting experience you can have with the Spirit of the Holy God that He empowers you with His presence to the point that you become a witness. By the way, the word witness there means martyr. So there is such a supernatural work that takes place in your life to the degree that you are willing to give your life for the one who gave his life for you. You will become a witness. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses. Jesus talked a lot about this. talked about sending the Holy Spirit. So this is what we're, we, we can understand. Jesus, the ascension of Jesus doesn't mean Jesus isn't here, but that he's here all over. It doesn't mean Jesus Christ is no longer present, but that he is present all over. When he was on earth, he could only be in one place at one time, but now he is any place a Christian is throughout the world through his Holy Spirit. In fact, I believe this is the greater works that he talked about that he promised we would do because he goes to the Father, John fourteen twelve. So this is what the promise is all about. He promises us this, this kind of supernatural kind of life for those who walk with him, know him, his Holy Spirit indwelling us. But there's this, this Holy Spirit kind of experience that we can have to where he empowers us in such a way that we become a witness. People look at our lives and they are attracted to him. In fact, I believe what he's saying here is that your life will be so intoxicated, so saturated, so captivated with the beauty and the person and the work of Jesus that you will expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. I mean, you're going to just, and that's what the whole rest of the book of Acts is all about. That's why we're embarking upon a study this morning, so that we can unpack this and understand this more clearly of God's work in our lives. Now, we're going to do a drama here in just a few moments, and I want to set you up for this. I want to challenge you based on what we just said. Let me repeat what I just said. What is Christianity all about? Is what Jesus has done and not what you do. He suffered for you. That's the cross. He proved he was alive, resurrection. He ascended and works from heaven through his Holy Spirit. That's the promise. Based on this, everybody look up here. Right here. Based on what I just said, give up your small ambitions. Give up your small ambitions. Repent of your low expectations. Listen, there is no past hurt that can't be healed. There is no addiction that can't be broken. There is no problem that can't be overcome. I'm telling you, there's no greater life of peace, power, and purpose than that which comes as a byproduct of full devotion to Jesus Christ. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my martyrs. You will give your life for me. That's what he's saying. Let's watch this drama.
So how do you run to him? Let's talk about that real quick. How do you run to him? John 3, 16 through 19. Let me walk you through this process. I'm going to give you an opportunity to make a confession of faith in Jesus this morning. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes, there's the key right there, whoever believes, that's not just a, a decision you make once. That's not, you know, a card that you sign, you get dunked in the tank, and you walk the aisle. Any, any number of things. I mean, that's all part of it, but it's, a, it's something you, a decision you make each and every day. Each and every day. You put your faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. You enter into a relationship with Him. Whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. You only have two choices. By default, we are going to perish. You will perish. Regardless of what you might think or believe, you will perish. But if you'll put your faith in Jesus, you can have eternal life. He goes on, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Boy, that's great news. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. This is the verdict. The light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than the light because of their, their works were evil. It's not an intellectual issue. It's a moral issue. We turn our backs on God because we want to. We're sinners by nature and by choice. But this morning, you can turn towards Him. Put your faith in Him. How do you do that? Here, let me give you the last three fill-in-the-blanks. This is what it looks like. Christian life is a combination of God's truth, entering the head, comprehension, intellect, thoughts. It's all that we just talked about. Grace, cross, resurrection, ascension. And then there's something that begins to take place. Some of you have already begun to experience it this morning. There's a stirring. There's this conviction, igniting the heart, conviction, emotion, feelings. You will receive power. Many of you were energized, even what what you saw up here, as you begin to see the reality that Jesus came to set us free. And as that begins to move us and stir us, that moves to outworking through the hands of commitment, through our will, our actions. You will be my witnesses. I'm going to give you an opportunity to make that confession of faith this morning. Would you bow your heads with me? Just take a moment. And if you're here this morning and, and maybe for the first time, maybe you've done it in the past, it's been a while, you want to renew that commitment, I'm going to start with my right, your left, all the way in the left section, with your heads bowed, eyes closed. If you're going to want to make a confession of faith in Jesus, you're saying, I'm believing in Jesus this morning. I'm going to lead everybody in a prayer in just a moment. But you're saying, hey, I'm going to believe in Jesus. I just want you to look up here and give me eye contact right over here in the far left section. See you? Yep. Yep, right on. There's a whole lot of people right in this section right here. Right on. More importantly, God sees you. How about the middle section? Confession of faith in Jesus. Right on. Right on. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Right on. How about this far right section? Faith in Jesus. Faith in Jesus. Right on. Praise God. Praise God. There's a lot of people here this morning. I see all the way back there. Right on. God's doing amazing work this morning in people's lives. He's, he's, drawing, he's drawing hearts to Him this morning. So this is what you pray. Basically this. Acknowledge the fact that your sins separate you from God. God, we acknowledge the fact our sins separate us from You. We've lived life our own way. We've lived our life for our glory, not for Yours. And so, God, we believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for all of our sins, past, present, future. And God, we 
confess him as our Lord and Savior. We turn the steering wheel of our lives over to him. We want to follow him. We want to make him the priority, the passion, the pursuit of our lives. And God, we know that when we do that, it's important that we nurture ourselves, that we grow, so that the, more and more of this truth enters our head, ignites the heart, and is out working through our hands. And so if, if you've made that confession of faith this morning, the next obvious thing is that you're going to want to spend time. I call it the ABCs. You're going to want to spend a lot of time just adoring him and spending time with him. It's called prayer. And then you're going to want to pick up a Bible and begin to read the Bible because, because the Bible, God reveals himself to us through his word. And we, we study the Bible week in and week out right here at Desert Breeze. And then the C is for church. You're going to want to plug into a good gospel-centered church. And you're going to want to follow through with that. And that's how that will begin to nurture your faith. God, I pray for each person here this morning that has made a confession of faith in you. God, I pray that you would seal the deal through the work and the power of your Holy Spirit. May it not just be just some fleeting thing, but may you bring them back to this day, this Easter, 2011. May they be reminded of the decision that they made for you. And may they follow through with that decision. And may the truth of who you are ignite their heart and be outworking through their hands as you revolutionize their lives and as they live their life for you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Would you stand with us as we conclude with this final song? We continue on with this teaching series next weekend. We're going to talk about living in between. How do you live in between the waves of God's grace? Sometimes maybe if you feel a little spiritually dry, what do you do in the meantime? We're going to talk about that next weekend. So come on back and hang out with us. Uh, let's sing this song from our hearts as we celebrate the new life that we have in Jesus and the many who made a confession of faith this morning. Woo! <laughs> Woo! Praise God. Praise God. Thank you for being here today. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. Have a great weekend. God bless you.